Thank you. Uh, you can be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back in New Zealand. And uh, we have been 10 weeks overseas, um, mainly in the UK, and then a little bit, uh, four or five days in Singapore, ministering around churches over there. And God kept us COVID free the whole time. Hallelujah. <laughs> that was a miracle. Let me tell you, um, because we just didn't want to have to cancel a church and so we're being, we're not in detention over there. We're just being a little careful and wise because we've got 18 churches between now and the end of the year to visit and a, a regional pastors meeting. So we're, we're masking, we're not shaking hands, we're in detention, but that's only because we trust God for protection, but we wanna be a little wise as well. So trust you understand that, that we're not being antisocial, but it's great to be back. And the UK was amazing, honestly. Um, they were so grateful that we would come from the other side side of the world under the circumstances. And we hadn't been there for three years because of COVID. And just the gratitude of the pastors and the people that some Kiwis would be sent out from Church Unlimited to minister. And, and people were so grateful. And a lot of a lot came up and said, oh, the prophetic words you spoke years ago, they've come to pass. And that's always nice to hear because <laughs> you never know what you're saying at the time. It's all by faith. And uh, but that was amazing. So we just had a great time. And I know a number of you prayed for us. So I'll let Greta share a bit and then you're going to share a, a short message, honey. So over to you. Yes. Um, there, there were some wonderful highlights. I think one of them was when we were in Wales, which we know was the, the location of, of a previous revival and, and started with Evan Roberts and his small group praying, praying. Um, and, and revival was birthed. But it's almost like there are still remnants there because that was where we saw um, the most salvations. Like in their big city of Cardiff, the, on, on the Sunday morning, there were 17 salvations. And uh, the next city, Swansea in Wales, there were 19 people saved that Sunday. So um, that, that is the most precious thing. And I must say another highlight was being at the National um, Elam Leaders Conference where we were privileged to participate in. Um, it's the first one they've had in three years. And I cannot describe the joy of so many of us between 1,500, 2,000 of, his, of God's leaders across the nation being together in one place physically for the first time and worshiping God. That... I mean, for us to be here today, physically meeting and worshiping God is such a joy. And this is how it is meant to be. Now, what um, I will tell you what I'm going to speak on today, it's to do with something I feel God wants to do. And that is, to, this morning, He wants to impart a greater revelation to us. Now, we know that God speaks through many different ways, including natural signs. Well, God has been speaking to me through about this greater revelation through a recurring number pattern 333 and a bird, the robin redbreast. And that sounds unusual, but I will explain. One of these number patterns I've seen repeatedly is 333, and this has been happening for months. And when I asked the Lord, what does this mean? 
I felt that God desires to release an increased revelation of the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we can all know them better. That's what it's all about, is closer relationship. And what the Holy Spirit is especially highlighting right now among the, th the three persons of the Trinity is a greater revelation of Father's love. And the Lord confirmed this recently with a most unusual encounter with the Robin Redbreast in the United Kingdom. Um, we we were, happened to be on a very short break in North Wales, and it happened on Father's Day. We visited these beautiful gardens, and as we sat down on this bench to enjoy the, the, the beautiful view, a Robin Redbreast, as, as if from nowhere, suddenly flew straight towards us and landed in front of us, and then he very purposefully hopped until he was about a foot away in front of us, totally unafraid. And he, he sat there looking intently at us, and we've got a slide of him coming up. Um, looking at us as if he was trying to convey something to us. And this was such a delightful, unusual encounter that it really stayed with me. And then this is what happened. Two days later, we received unpleasant news. And straight away, this Robin encounter came to mind. And then the Lord spoke to me personally. And what, I, what he said to me, I feel is for many of, of you that are listening here and online as well. And the first thought that came, remember this happened, the, the Robin encounter happened on Father's Day. And the first thought was, every day is our Father's Day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then this is what I sensed Father say. As I provide for the birds of the air every day, how much more will I not provide abundantly for you every day of your life? My faithfulness to you, my children, is great beyond measure and never ends, for I am a faithful God. I foreknew the news today, so I sent a message of my tender love and care for you through the robin. My love covers you. God's love covers you too. I love you more than you can understand. I am love. And we know that is scriptural. And Jude 1 states our primary calling. We are called to live in the love of the Father and the care of Jesus Christ. So what, what I sense God was speaking was based on the scriptural truth. And the robin redbreast is a sign of Father's love. And we know he has a red breast. And a red heart is a symbol of love. Father's love is one of the most important revelations in our lives. And here are just a few reasons why. We really flourish when we live in Father's love and we can grow to our full potential with maximal fruitfulness. I want to do that, don't you? When you know how loved you are, when you really know it in your heart, that your other, your Father loves you, then you can be completely free to simply be yourself. You have nothing to prove. You have no one to impress. You can be true to your calling and your assignments that Father has specifically prepared for you and for you alone. 
And in this hour that we're in in the world, God wants to entrust all of us with increased influence in our world. But to handle this successfully, we need to be secure in our identity as deeply loved sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. Another reason, all I do, every little thing I do each day, and all ministry must flow from love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love I am nothing and I gain nothing. As Father pours out more love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, we have an enlarged capacity to love him more and love people more too. Life is all about love because when you really love, you will always do the right thing. Our primary ministry is to love Father and Jesus with all our being and secondly, to love one another. So like Paul did in in, in Ephesians, he, let's do this, pray to the Father for the more. Lord, will you pour more of your love into my heart so I can love you more and I can love others more. God's intention is that the church becomes Father's house, a place where the transformative power of his love ministers wholeness and freedom to broken people in bondage. And here's one final reason. A revelation of Father's love is a key to deeper intimacy, closer relationship with him, and to the, a key to the supernatural. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19 is a most powerful prayer, and I'm going to pray it over us now. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. May you, under, may you have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great you will never truly understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Wow, that is the supernatural, isn't it? The fullness of life and power flows from a revelation of God's love. Now we know that growing in God's love is a lifelong progressive process. Keep praying Ephesians 3, 17 to 19 over your lives and your family lives. David and I do this regularly because God has promised to answer it. However, Even though there is this lifelong growth, with impartation, there can be a big step up, a big shift to a new level of Father's love. And today, what I feel God desires to do is impart to us a greater revelation of His love. So could I ask us to close our eyes, and I'm going to pray and release this, and expect to receive, expect to be different Father, we are so thankful for your love that is higher than the heavens, that is deeper than the depths of the deepest ocean. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you pour um, love into our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of revelation 
that you, that you reveal Father's love to us. In the name of Jesus, I release the anointing of the Spirit. And those at home, I release the anointing of the Spirit over you too. The Spirit of revelation. And in Jesus' name, receive a greater revelation of the Father's love. I speak and declare over you a shift to a new level of knowing Father's love in your heart. May he take you into new depths of his love, just like the depths of an ocean. And I pray and declare 1 John 3, 1 over you. May you look with wonder at the depths of Father's marvelous love that he's given you, that he's lavished on you. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, love is what binds the universe together um, because God is our creator. And um, I, I think right now where the world is at, you know, um, it says the love of many will grow cold in the last days. And so when you get God's people having an increasing dimension of his love, uh, revelation of his love on our hearts and then flowing through us to others, it's gonna stand out. And that's what we call light shining in the darkness. And uh, so I wanna, I wanna talk to you about the ultimate expression of the Father's love today, which is his, his eternal plan for us. So my message is called From the Garden to the City, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But just to let you know, we did bring some copies of um, this latest book we've released, How to Pray and Change Your World. I know a few of you have got copies, but we really do believe the Holy Spirit is calling the church globally to up our level of prayer. You'll agree the world is in a real mess and uh, we know that prayer uh, is an intervention of heaven upon earth. Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But most of us get trapped into praying for our personal needs and we often neglect that great prayer that Jesus told us to pray. So this book is a kind of a guilt-free, uh, you know, you read it and don't feel condemned because sometimes uh, books on prayer do make you feel like, oh, I don't know if I can live up to that. This is just really designed to simply explain the different dimensions of prayer and, and how we can up our level of praying. Even if your prayer life's almost zero or if you're a strong prayer warrior, this book will really help you to just go another step in prayer. And Spurgeon said, whenever God wants to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. And so I'd encourage you, grab a copy, they're discounted today. And um, if you're on, watching online and you, you want a copy, um, you can order either from our website, spiritlife.org.nz or any online store, Amazon, whatever, um, you can order a copy. So uh, that'll be available to you. So how many of you have been to London? How many of you have been to St. Paul's Cathedral in London? A few of you. It's quite a, a big structure. I think we've got a photo of it uh, coming up. There it is. And uh, that's, the, that's the cathedral as it, it exists. But in 1666, of course, the Great Fire of London happened and the original St. Paul's Cathedral was burned down because it was a wooden structure. Uh, so the church authorities commissioned Christopher Wren, who was an architect, to design a replacement cathedral made of stone so that it could withstand fire. And it took 35 years to build and they started building in 1675. 
And the story goes that, um, you know, early in the construction, uh, two finely dressed gentlemen walked onto the building site and they walked over to two men who were digging in a ditch, just digging dirt out and digging a ditch. Maybe maybe they were digging some of the footings for the foundation. And, uh, and they watched these two guys digging. And then one of the gentlemen said, excuse me, men, what are you doing? And the first man in the ditch looked up rather irritated and said, I'm digging a ditch. And the second man looked up with a smile and said, I'm building a cathedral for Christopher Wren. Two men in a ditch. We're all in ditches, aren't we? That's what life is. We're digging stuff out. We're building marriages. We're raising families. We're serving in careers and vocations or in ministry. We're just doing life. And often we find in life, we're sort of just in a ditch. We're digging something out. We're building something. But sometimes we get so locked into the ditch that we forget the big picture. And what I wanna do today is just paint the big picture for you to because this message is designed to help us be like the second man, not like the first. And it's easy for the enemy to just let you focus on the dirt you're digging out rather than the cathedral that God is building in our lives. So let's have a look at the big picture of what God is building and to to really understand it, we've got to go right back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, which is the original state in which... um, you know, God put us. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we read, then God said, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. They will be masters over all of life. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and told them, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So what the Lord does is He creates an entire planet that's paradise, but He then sections off an area that's special called Eden, uh, special, uh, special beauty to it. And He puts Adam and Eve in there and He says, all right, you tend the garden. And I guess the big plan was that, you know, as they, as they proved stewardship of that, that and they multiplied and had more children, more descendants, that the Lord would let them spread out over the earth. And their whole thing was to just prepare the earth and 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 subdue it in other words bring order to it so that ultimately God could come and live among them that was the big plan but of course you know that in the garden there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil God set a test up because he didn't create robots without free will so to have free will you actually have to have choice so there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God says don't eat from that tree and the day you eat of it you'll die but they listened to the lies of the enemy they ate of the tree and a death came and a curse came and theologians call it the fall but often we don't realise just how far we fell. Because if you go back before the fall to the Garden of Eden, we can see these characteristics that were in the garden. Number one, there was face-to-face intimacy with God. Genesis 3 verses 8 and 9. Face-to-face intimacy with God. Uh, God came in embodied form 
and he walked with them in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine talking to God in an embodied form, just chilling out with God and asking him questions and he's sharing all the secrets of creation with you? How incredible. There was eternal youthfulness and no aging. How about that? Uh, you'll notice after the fall, they start aging and, and it's slow. Uh, it's a slow decay because, you know, Adam lived 930 years, but Noah 600 and Abraham 200. And then by the time you get to Moses, um, you know, most people are living 70, 80 years. So there's this slow decay to what we experience today. There was high intellectual capacity. Adam named tens of thousands of animals. Now, we struggle to name a few children and a few pets, don't we? It's like we agonise over that. But I, So there was this incredible intellectual capacity. Imagine the technological advance if they'd not fallen. There was a perfect worldwide, clim worldwide climate because uh, there was a watery canopy above the earth. So it was like a greenhouse effect, but mild, warm, right across the earth. And because and there's no variation, there were no storms. There weren't even any seasons till after the flood. And there was one big supercontinent, one big giant landmass. Um, there was no death. Uh, people didn't die. Animals didn't die. Trees didn't die. There was just no death. Um, anyone that's had a vision of heaven and, and you see the vegetation up there, uh, there's, no, there's no death, there's no smell of decay and rotting leaves. It's just like there's just no death where there's life. And, and sadly, that was the original state that God intended us to live in, uh, but we lost it. And ever since that the earth has been under that curse, but of course Jesus broke the curse on the cross and he brought us into the potential to uh, know a, a restoration of that. But of course we're in the in-between. So the curse is broken, but we're still living in a fallen world. But when Jesus comes back, it will all change. So, um, so, the Garden of Eden was lost, so God instituted another plan ultimately for His Son to come and redeem us. But before Jesus comes back, in the Old Testament people of the, of the Jews, He has a plan to keep dwelling among them. And it, it's the, it's the uh, temple, which is the present state. And in Exodus 25 verse 8, God says to Moses, build me a tabernacle, which is just a tent. Build me a tent where I can live among them. So you see the heart of God is continually, God wants to live among his people. He, he, he created the garden and every day he came and he walked in that garden with Adam and Eve. And I believe the ultimate plan would have been had they subdued the whole earth and not fallen, he would have just permanently shifted from heaven to earth. That was his intention. And here we get an echo of his heart from the garden of Eden. Build me something, Moses, that I can live among my people. See, this is the pursuit of God. He wants to live among his people. And then, and then Solomon, came along and he turned it into a temple of stone, a magnificent temple of stone and cedar and gold. And then, of course, the ultimate expression of the temple is that uh, Jesus comes to earth in bodily form and he said he was the temple. Destroy this temple in three days. My father will raise it up. He's speaking of him, the temple, the presence of Almighty God walked among us again in embodied form. Wow, it was again an echo of Eden. Jesus comes and he walk, God walking among the people on this planet in embodied form. How incredible. And, and the disciples, 
disciples said, you know, or he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, you see what God is like if you look at me. And then, of course, Jesus went back to heaven. So where's the temple now? Well, we find in Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, Paul writes, we, the church, are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being marked, made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Where does God live today? Again, by the Holy Spirit, He lives among His people. He lives in you. You're a carrier of His presence when you go into your house, your workplace, your neighbourhood, the supermarket. You carry His presence and then collectively together, the church on planet Earth, uh, whether we're gathered or whether we're separated, but we're all part of that universal church. We are the temple of God. The presence of God dwells among the people of God. See, God has always had a plan to live among His people. And the church at the moment is the temporary expression of God's desire to do that. But this is temporary. Even heaven, where believers go when they die, is a temporary state. Uh, if you read Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, you say that heaven is an incredible place. It's the place of God's throne. It's the place of the, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, Zion. It's the place of billions of angels. It's the place of the spirits of departed believers made perfect. Uh, and, and it's an incredible place. But, but listen, eternity is not going to be spent in heaven. Eternity is going to be spent on earth. You know, sometimes I say that in a meeting deliberately and I get shocked looks because people think, oh, that's heresy. I thought we were going to live in heaven forever. No, you're not. You're not going to live in heaven forever. Okay, because we need to understand what God's ultimate plan is. There is no going back to the Garden of Eden. God is looking forward to something better than the Garden of Eden. You know, people today want to live forever. They're having their bodies frozen uh, in the hope that they can get resuscitated one day. Science will do that. Um, people are, uh, you know, anybody that develops a cream that's supposed to erase your wrinkles will make a billion dollars overnight. You know, it's like, there's just this, there's this, it's almost like we know that we should have been living forever and yet we fell and death came into the world. There's something in the DNA of every human being that resists aging, resists death. We, we know it happens, but like if anyone came up with something that would enable you to live forever in a youthful state, how many of us would be lined up for that? But the good news is in Jesus Christ, that's gonna happen, hallelujah. We might have to die first, but it's gonna happen. There's no going back to the garden. They will never discover an elixir of life because the tree of life has, has been blocked. We can't access it anymore because when Adam and Eve fell, they were ejected from the garden and God stationed angels with flaming uh, swords to guard the entrance to Eden, to guard the tree of life. God said, we better get them out of the garden because if they eat of the tree of life in a fallen state, they'll live in a fallen state state forever. Scientists and people might try to get back to the tree of life. They will never succeed. 
There's only one way, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, uh, when you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. So what is this future plan? Well, the future plan of God involves a city and that's the future state. And if we wanna fast forward through the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of end times and all of that stuff that we read in the Bible, we wanna, we wanna fast forward right to the end uh, of, of the book, uh, Revelation 21 verses one to four. So this is after Jesus has returned, after the dead have been raised, after judgments happen, the unrighteous have been sent into a place separate from God, uh, any place separate from God is hell uh, and the righteous have been allowed to enter into an eternal life, then John gets this vision of what comes after all that. And he says in Revelation 21, one to four, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the heaven there is, is not meaning the one where God is, it's meaning the heavens, it's meaning the atmosphere, it's meaning space, it's meaning you know, it's meaning what we're seeing in the, the telescope pictures. It's meaning new heavens that don't have a curse on them. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heavens and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. Interesting, no sea in the new earth, but there is water, there's rivers, there's, there's lakes, there's all that stuff. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them. That's, that's an echo from the garden. That's an echo from the temporary temple state. This is God's ultimate desire. And it says, they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You know, a bunch of you listening to me now online or here, you've probably had tears in your life over suffering, over pain that you've experienced, over loss, over disappointment. It's just a part of life. We all face those things. And you know what? There's gonna come a day where God is gonna kind of come to you. He's gonna wipe away the tears. And He's gonna wipe away the memories of that pain. We're gonna enter into a new day and it's a day of joy, and there'll be no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness. It says, John says, all these things are gone forever. No more war, no more conflict, no more racism, no more sexism, no more counterfeit, deceptive doctrines of demons that are exploding around the world right now as, as Satan deceives people that love sin rather than life. No more of that. And we read in, uh, in the next chapter, Revelation 22, verses one to four, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street of the city, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations, and no longer will there be any curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. And this is the best part. They will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. Wow. How are you gonna know the billions of people that have lived through history? You know, we wear name badges to conferences, don't we? Well, there'll be names on our foreheads. 
We'll, we'll know everybody's name. I don't know. I don't know whether that's literal or it's spiritual or, or what. But anyway, we're just going to know everybody and know the name that the new name God gives us. It will be a name descriptive of how we've lived our life on planet Earth. They will see His face. So this glorious heavenly city. So God creates a new earth and, and uh, there's no sea. So there's just one big land mass again. And then this big heavenly city that measures 2,200 kilometers as a cube length, uh, width and height. I mean, that's beyond my comprehension. Theologians say, is that symbolic? Is it literal? I like to think it's probably literal. It's a huge city. It comes down out of heaven. By the way, that's as big as the land mass of Australia. That's how big this city is. So this a giant city comes down upon planet Earth and, and it, it abides and it becomes the headquarters of a new earth. And God Himself brings His throne to earth and Father, Son and Holy Spirit live upon the earth with the resurrected saints in our resurrection bodies that'll never die, never grow old, never get tired, never, never get sick. And we're gonna live with the Lord forever. And this city is the kingdom of God fully and physically manifest on earth. It's the home of God the Father and of Christ and of His church. It's accessible to those who are saved through faith in Jesus. Science, technology, art, music, etc., will still be in the new earth. Imagine the developments that will take place when we've got restored intellect, restored, and we've got God living with us, sharing with us the secrets of His universe. And note that the elements of the Garden of Eden are present. There's a river. There was a great river in the garden. There's going to be beautiful vegetation on that new earth. Um, there is a tree of life. It says there's actually two. There's one on each side of the river. Now, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Note now in the, in the new earth and in the city, there's only two trees of life. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that say? It says we will never sin and fall again. Why? Because Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin in us. And those who believe in Him are declared righteous. And, and we're given a new nature. And in your resurrection body, that new nature will be perfected and it will be sinless and it will be holy and we'll never again desire to sin. And so there's two trees of life and the fruit of it each month is for the healing of the nations. God's gonna heal the nations and the nations that come in and the groups of people that come into that new earth and we'll still have culture and we'll still have different races and, and together every race and every culture uh, expresses something of God and it's going to be a kaleidoscope of the glory of God resident in every culture on planet earth and you know God has put redemptive gifts in every culture on, on earth and yet the devil comes and he seeks to overlay demonic things and bring darkness into culture but I tell you what there's going to be total restoration of culture and, and everything good about different cultures will be reflecting the glory of God and we'll be dwelling together and, and there'll be this unity and there'll be this harmony and there'll be this oneness and, and it's just going to be unlike anything we have now. You're actually allowed to get excited about that because I think that's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, maybe I'm just preaching to the converted. <laughs> 
And by the way, we do have copies of, of, of the book Greta and I wrote called Afterlife available. Uh, it's our part of it's the story of how to get through grief if you've lost a loved one. But the, the half of the book is about the return of Jesus, resurrection, judgment day. But there's a whole chapter on the new earth and new heaven. And it's got far more detail that I have time to express. And so you can grab a copy of that and read up on what that new earth and heaven is gonna be like. But you know, the greatest blessing is we're gonna see his face, face to face. So you see the entire Bible is the story from Genesis to Revelation of God attempting to construct a dwelling place on earth where he can live with his people. That's the entire story of the Bible. And when Jesus says, I'll build my church, he's not just talking about, I'm gonna build buildings and I'm gonna have local congregations. That's part of it. He's talking about his universal church. Jesus is building his church because we're headed towards being the bride of Christ so that when he comes and raises us from the dead, we're going to be this glorious, beautiful bride. And Jesus is called the second Adam. And can you see where it's all going? That we are the second Eve. And when God brings his city down to earth, which is the headquarters, it's a city. It means cities speak of government. There's, there's government there. There's, it's a temple. It's the presence of God is there. It's going to be our home. It's, you're talking about a government and a temple and a home, God brings it to earth and we get married to Christ for eternity, the church. He's the second Adam, we're the second Eve and we get to begin to do what God originally wanted Adam and Eve to do. Christ and the second Eve exploring the new earth and the universe beyond. And who knows whether God, or when He creates the new heavens, make other planets habitable and we get to explore them. I just like to let my imagination run wild. I mean, just, it just is incredible. We are not gonna be sitting on clouds strumming harps, guys. Just get that picture out of your head. And so all that to say, um, we, heaven is not the place that you're gonna spend eternity. Look, if you die before Jesus comes back, that's where you'll go. Your spirit will go there. Your body will go into the grave. But do you know what the saints in heaven are longing for? They're longing for the church on earth to finish the job, cross the finish line so they can get the prize. The prize is getting raised from the dead. The prize is the new heaven and the new earth. The prize is living on this new earth with God among us for eternity. Do you know that the saints in heaven long for earth while the saints on earth long for heaven? It's ironic, isn't it? And, and I long for heaven too. It's gonna be cool, but it's temporary. And more longing, more than I long for heaven, I long for the day where I'm raised from the dead and given a new body and my spirit in heaven is reunited with that glorious body and we're gonna live with Jesus forever. <clears throat> There's a principle of first mention uh, theologians talk about when, when, some, when some truth is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, uh, then there's a really important thing about that. It kind of summarizes that truth. And the first ever recorded human prophecy in the Bible. So the first 
prophecy is in Genesis 3.15 where God predicts he's gonna send a savior who will crush the, the Satan's head, etc., but be bruised in the process. But the first human prophecy, God speaking through a human, the first recorded human prophecy is actually found towards the end of the Bible in the book of Jude, where Jude quotes Enoch. And Enoch was a descendant a few generations from Adam. And in the book of Jude, you, you get recorded the prophecy of Enoch. And what Enoch is prophesying is he sees the second coming of Jesus. And he says, the Lord will come from heaven with myriads of his holy ones. That's angels and, and saints that have gone on. And he will come upon the earth and he will destroy wickedness and he will institute a new order. When you get a first mention, all prophecy is heading to towards that ultimate goal. All prophetic revelation in the Word of God ultimately heads towards the ultimate plan of God that He will have heaven on earth. That's why Jesus told us to pray, uh, pray that His kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants an expression of that now, but the ultimate fullness of it will be when He comes back and God creates that new earth and that new heaven. We need to fix our hope on this. We need to live well now. We need to endure hardship now. Tonight, I wanna to talk about how to deal with mystery. If God is such a loving God, as Greta said, why is there such a lot of rubbish and pain and suffering in the world, including in Christians' lives? How do we explain the unexplainable? How do we deal with mystery? I wanna talk about that tonight and, and I, I, I won't make a promise, but I'm hoping uh, the nudge, uh, that the, the, the things in the Holy Spirit will work out, that we can have a time of healing the sick tonight as well. But, um, but all that to say, there is a mystery element about things that happen on earth, particularly in the realm of suffering. But you see, the hope of what lies ahead is meant to help us endure adversity. When you suffer, when you look at the news headlines and you see plagues and you see war, you know, we were up in Europe, the war in Ukraine is very real when you're living in the United Kingdom because there's thousands of Ukrainian refugees uh, in, in that nation. And we spoke to one mother and her two children uh, and she told us firsthand of, of what's happening in the Ukraine. When you're up there and you see the pain and you see the suffering and we look out on a world that seems to be getting darker and darker, we need to understand that God's got a plan, folks. He's, he's not in panic and He's gonna build His church. And even before Jesus comes back and, and we get the new earth and new heaven, I believe there's gonna be a great move of the Spirit of God upon earth because He doesn't want anyone to be left out. God wants all people to be in that city. God wants all people to be on that new earth. He wants your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your relatives who don't yet know the Lord. He wants them to be part of that city, part of that new earth. That's why we need to be galvanised in prayer, praying for the lost to come into the kingdom, praying that the kingdom will come to earth. Governments will bow in the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill the earth before Christ comes back so that multitudes can be saved. This is what we're building, folks. And you might be in a trench and it's all dirty and mucky and rubbish, but you can't afford to be like the first man. I'm digging all this dirt. You need to be saying, I'm helping build 
build a city, hallelujah. My prayers are helping build that city, that new earth. My labours, my faith in the midst of adversity, my ongoing trust in God, even though pain and suffering I'm experiencing right now, my ongoing trust in God is bringing glory and honour to His Name. It's helping build something on planet Earth. And I'll close with this Scripture. And then I'd love to give an opportunity for people who don't yet know the Lord to receive Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we've not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over but the joys to come will last forever. It's another way of saying, I'm in the ditch, but I'm not looking at the dirt. I'm looking beyond the dirt to the new earth and to the new heaven of which I'm gonna be a part. And the pain I'm experiencing now, it doesn't feel light and momentary. It feels quite heavy and it feels lengthy, but in the light of eternity, it's short and it's momentary. And so we just need to, lift up our heads. We're down and our focus is sometimes is in, on the dirt. Lift up our heads. And I hope this morning that this message of, of what Greta shared about God's incredible love and what I've shared about the ultimate expression of His incredible love would help us lift up our heads. Say, oh God, it's worth it. It's worth it. Hey, why don't we close our eyes? To, we're gonna pray and we're gonna pray into this in just a minute. But... Um, but right now, I just would love to give an opportunity because, you know, God doesn't want you to miss out on this incredible plan of His. And the key to it is Jesus Christ. He says, He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, never asked Him to forgive you, I'd love to pray a simple prayer that would allow you to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says, as many that receive Jesus who believe in His name, He gives them power to become children of God. And maybe you've never done that, or maybe you once walked with God, but you've walked right away from Him. And today, uh, the Lord wants you to come back to Him. And I'd love to encourage you as well. So I'm just going to ask if that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus or come back to Him um, and you're in the auditorium, why don't you just quickly raise your hand. If you're online, you can raise your hand as well. I can't see it, but God will. So I'm just looking around the auditorium. If that's you, you know you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to Him. Could you just quickly raise your hand right now? I'll acknowledge it, then you'll be able to put it down. Just don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop you. Just hold it up until I've seen it. You know you need to get right with God. You know you need to ask His forgiveness or come back to Him. Just quickly overcome any fear. Shoot your hand in the air as I scan the room. I know maybe you might be deciding, should I, shouldn't I? And you just need to make that step of faith. Yeah, I should. I should do this. Just quickly raise your hand as I scan the room. One last time. Okay, I don't see any hands here, but for the sake of those online that might have done this, can we all stand? And I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer. Uh, and if you're at home watching this and you, you did wanna give your life to Christ or come back to Him, then why don't you follow me in this prayer? We're, we're all here in the, the church. We're gonna pray it with you. So here we go. If you did that online, let's, let's pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I ask You to forgive me 
all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord, and I turn from them and I turn to You. I believe You died on a cross for me and You rose again from the dead. So I now open the door of my life and I receive You. Give me power to live for You for the rest of my days. Amen. If you prayed that prayer online, why don't you put that in the chat room or contact the church in some way and we can send you some helpful information and something that will really help you take the next step. I Just before handing back to Pastor Jody, I just wanna take a minute to pray. As I was praying this morning, a Scripture just popped into my head and it's Isaiah 40 verse 31. It says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. These last three years have been really tough. A lot of people have lost a lot of stuff. Loved ones, businesses, jobs, freedoms, whatever, whatever. And I know that I even found myself, you know, being robbed of strength. And I believe that there are people here this morning that God wants to impart fresh strength to you. Uh, That strength might be spiritual, to become strong spiritually. It might be mental strength, emotional strength, could be physical strength, literally healing, wholeness, new vitality, new vigour. You're feeling worn out, you're feeling tired. That's a word for a bunch of you right now. And I would love to pray that God's hope would be imparted to you. See, the key to renewing your strength is hope. And what Greta shared about the love of God and what I've shared about the ultimate prophetic plan of God should is designed to give us hope, that we go out of that place with a fire of hope burning in us. Lord, whatever happens here, I've got hope in You. And those who have hope in the Lord, you're gonna renew your strength. Time to get hope back again. And the Holy Spirit, uh, Romans 15, 13 says, may we overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. So why don't you lift your hands to the Lord right now? I would love to pray for an impartation of hope and of strength into every any life that's weary, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Father, I pray that by Your great love and by the power of Your precious Holy Spirit that You will impart fresh hope into every life right now. I pray this Word will linger Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word and faith is the substance of things hoped for. And in the Name of Jesus, let there be an impartation of fresh hope into every heart. And I break off you the weariness, the tiredness, the exhaustion uh, of the bad news of mental, emotional, spiritual, or even physical weariness. I break it off. And in the Name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, may new strength be imparted to you today. May new vigour come upon you. May you find your spirit getting stronger. May your mind and emotions get stronger. May joy return in the Name of Jesus. May even physical vigour and strength strength and health return to you in the Name of Jesus. May you mount up with wings like eagles. May you run and not be weary. May you walk and not faint in the Name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you folks. Thank you, Jody.